Now, I need you to open your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind. I'm going to take you to Genesis. Genesis. It's not hard to find. It's the first book in your Bible. Just open the cover of your Bible, turn right one page, and you're, you're there. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. If you don't have your Bible, guys, that's totally fine. You can navigate there on your smartphone. You can see it on the screen when it shows up. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now, if you are familiar with Genesis 1 and 2, uh, then you might feel like I feel, and that is that chapter 2 is simply a rereading of the creation story that you already read in chapter 1. And you begin to wonder, why is chapter 2 there? Because I just read this in chapter 1. And if you're not familiar with chapter 1, you don't have to read it right now. Let me, if I could, familiarize you or remind you of what's in chapter one. It's the creation story in seven days. Although the seventh day, the Bible says God rested. So everything that was created was all done in those first six days. But it's not just a description of the time frame of creation. It's a detailed picture of what was created in each of those days. And so if I could, day one, light was created. And the Bible says it was separated from this expanse of darkness that covered everything. Light was born and it was beautiful. It's a picture that you can only imagine. Day two, the sky was created and separated from the waters. Right now, I don't know what that means or what that looked like. You don't need to worry about that right now. But we have a sky now. Really cool, don't you think? Day three, the land formed. And because the land formed, oceans were created, which, by the way, is the perfect environment for vegetation to begin to grow. And so you begin to see trees and flowers and bushes and grass begin to sprout out of the ground. That's really cool. Day four, you look up into the sky and you see something you've never seen before, tiny little lights. And at this point, you don't know that they're called stars and planets, but those things are formed and become visible on day four. On day five, you look in the oceans. You see things swimming around called fish and sea creatures. You look above your head in the sky. You see things called birds flying around. It's really, really cool. And then on day six, watch this. You look around you on the ground and you see livestock. You see wild animals, everything that crawls and walks on the ground. Those things become formed and show up. But that's not the best part of day six. The best part of day six, no, no, the best part of the entire creation story is that God on day six created you, mankind. And so if I could, let me read for you slowly your creation story. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so when mankind looked around, he would see the fish in the sea and say, mm, that's good, I'll rule over that. He would see the birds in the sky and says, God gave me authority over that, I'll rule over the birds in the sky he looked at the animals on the ground, the livestock and the dogs, and he says, mm, that's good, I'll rule over that. He looked at the cats and he says, mm, that's not good, I'll forget those. 
And so mankind was created and God said, rule over every living creature. I want you to notice a few things about this passage. The first one is that we, you and I, were made in the likeness, in the image of God. Do you know what that means? I'm not sure I fully understand what that means, but based on that passage alone, I know that there's a couple of things that that means. The first thing is this. Mankind was created unique from every other creation with a purpose to rule and subdue. In chapter one, the word for rule is radah. The word for subdue is kabas. What it means is that you have authority over all other living creation. That's rule, that's subduing, that's authority. That's first part of what it means to live with the image and likeness of God embedded into us. The second thing is that we are called as mankind to multiply and fill the earth. Now, why is that part and parcel of the image and likeness of God? Here's the first thing. Number one, when we rule and subdue, I know that language in a church setting in this culture makes us nervous, but here's what it means. It means that creation is cared for with the integrity and the love and compassion and heart of the very God who embedded his nature into us. So when we rule and subdue, we are doing it for the betterment of all creation. Does that make sense? Here's the other thing. We are called to fill the earth and multiply. This doesn't mean you need to have 18 kids. What it means is that you multiply the character and nature of God first and foremost through your kids, but then more so into the world around you. So if you're like, you know what? I'm single. I'm a widow. I'm divorced. Or I can't even have kids. You still have this purpose because you still have the opportunity of multiplying the character and nature of God that's been embedded in you into the world around you. Do you see this? Do you know why that's so cool? Because listen to the passage again. Here's what God says. Let us make mankind in our image, which by the way, in Genesis 1, is the first argument you have for the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? The very nature and person of God has filled heaven And so if we have his nature and character in us, it is part of our nature to fill the environment around us with the nature and character of God. And so everything that we have been purposed to do is what God himself has already been doing. It's a beautiful thing, don't you think? Here's something else I want you to recognize. He made mankind. He put his image, his likeness into, watch this, both male and female. You know what this means? Ladies, you have as much responsibility and as much privilege to rule and subdue as man does. Just as much. You have as much responsibility and privilege to multiply as much as man does. He made his image into both male and female. I'm not saying that God is female. That's a heresy that's beginning to grow more and more in the church. What I am saying is God bedded as much of his nature in you as he did in man. Now, it might look different. It might mean a couple of different things. But you have as much of his nature in you as man does. I hope you remember that. So you know what this means? When we are called to rule and subdue, What mankind, both male and female, when we make a decision over creation, creation must submit to us. That's authority. And that's a beautiful thing the way God designed it. And that's why we hate sin. Because when sin showed up, 
it didn't just cause us to make bad decisions that we feel bad about. It corrupted everything. Now, here's what sin did not do. It did not change our purpose, nor did it change our image of God inside of us. What it did is it corrupted the way that we fulfill our purpose. So yes, we still rule and subdue. We still fill the earth and multiply, both male and female, but all of that has been corrupted. And so now watch this. We rule and subdue, but not out of the compassion, love, grace, and care of the heavenly father. Now we rule and subdue with illegitimate means, by overpowering, by manipulating, by corrupting. And we fill the earth, yes, however, because we're not good caretakers of creation. Watch what happens. Creation becomes corrupted and suffers, and therefore, there's not enough resources for a world to fill up with people. That's why population control has happened. I don't think God's into population control. That's a human construct because we've looked around and say, we don't have enough resources for everybody. That's why millions of people are starving in the world today and don't have enough to survive. That's not the way God designed it. If we had operated and we had ruled and subdued out of the character and nature of God embedded in us, there would be plenty of resources for every human ever born and into the future. But right now, you and I, we throw out 30% of the food that we buy. Did you know this? While people in the world go starving. Some of the few hoard the much and the many have little. This is what happens when sin corrupts the way that we accomplish our purpose. Do you see this? So this is why we hate sin. This is also why we love Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he did not come just so that when we die, we can go to heaven. He came so that he could restore and redeem our natures back to the way God originally designed us. So that when we pursue our purpose of ruling and subduing and filling the earth and multiplying both male and female, we do it again with the heart and mind and love and care that God himself embedded into us, both male and female. That's a beautiful picture. That's part of the reason why we love Jesus. That's chapter one. Chapter two comes along and you feel like you are just simply rereading the creation story you just read in chapter one. You're not. In chapter one, the intent is to expose or express the purpose of mankind, both male and female, that is to rule and subdue and to multiply. In chapter two, you do not see the words rule and subdue. And you do not see the word mankind. What you see is man and woman. What chapter two does is focus the attention no longer on all of creation and all of mankind. He focuses the attention on male and female. Again, the same purpose of ruling and subduing and multiplying, but now in chapter two, there's a distinction on how men are called to satisfy their purpose and how women are called to satisfy their purpose. I have to tell you, I'm nervous. I may get politically incorrect. Send me an email. Again, at john at brookside.org. 
In chapter two, verse 15, God starts with the man. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Stop. Again, you do not see the words rule and subdue in chapter two. Instead, in chapter two, you see two different words related to the man. It's work it, care for it. The word for work is abad. The word for keep or care is samar. This is caretaking language. This is cultivating language. For those of you who have ever built a garden, you understand this. In order to build a garden, you just can't take some seed and throw it onto the grass. No, no, you've got you've to cultivate the ground first. You've got to put some trenches in there. You also have to have a watering system. You have to do it in the right place because you can't build a garden under a whole bunch of shade. Nothing will grow. You need the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of soil, the right kind of soil, the right amount of water, the right kind of seed for the right kind of region. And then you're just getting started. Now, on a daily basis, you've got to get into the garden. You've got to pull those weeds. You know what happens when you pull weeds? Sometimes you get splinters. Sometimes you grab a hold of thorns and now you're bleeding. And sometimes it's in the middle of the day and it's really hot. So now you're sweating. You're on your hands and your knees. And so now your hands and your knees, your whole body gets dirty and you get tired. You get exhausted. You know what that's called? It's called work. And when you do this, you do it not because you have to. Nobody's telling you you've got to build a garden. You do it because you want to. Why? Because there's something inside of you that loves to watch other things grow. That's called cultivation. And so you work, you bleed, you sweat, you get tired, you get dirty. Why? Because you want to see part of creation cultivated. Not because you have to, but because there's something in you that cares about it. So watch this. The man's method, the man's way of accomplishing his purpose to rule and subdue, listen for it, is not by overpowering. It's not by manipulating. It's by working hard to cultivate creation under your authority because you care about it. So watch this. If you are averse to hard work, <laughs> you risk forfeiting your God-given purpose. If you are averse to hard work, you are at risk of forfeiting your God-given purpose of ruling and subduing. But if you are willing to work, now you have the method, the legitimate means to accomplish God's ultimate purpose for you. But here's the thing we need to remember. We have an enemy, don't we? Who likes to corrupt everything. And one of the things he likes to do, listen to it, is not change our purpose, but corrupt the way that we accomplish it so that the end result is more evil than good. And so he comes to us and he says, you know what? You don't need to work. You can cheat. Why not, right? If it gets you the same results. Why not cheat if it can still allow you to rule and subdue? No, no, no. You don't need to sacrifice for the thing you're cultivating. You can manipulate. Why not if you can get the same result? No, no. You don't need to serve. You can neglect. You can abuse. 
any other means other than working for the cultivation of creation because you care for it in the eyes of God is an illegitimate rule, no matter what kind of rule you get from those illegitimate means. Any kind of way you use to get rule and subjugation over creation, it doesn't matter if it's your garden or if it's the employees that you pay, it's illegitimate. And every step of the way, Satan's cheering us on and saying, great job, keep going. But the end result, you might still rule and subdue, but it's not for righteous means. And so you might say something like, you know what? I do rule my home. That's my home. And I'm the authority in my home. That's my God-given right. But your children's faces betray the fact that you got that rule. You did subdue them through verbal abuse. Oh yeah, you might be a manager. You might be a business owner. You might have a dozen employees. And you might pay them well, that's fine. But at the water cooler station, that conversation says, you know what, we know how he got that job. It wasn't because he worked hard. It wasn't because he earned it and everybody promoted him there. No, no, it's because they backstabbed themselves up the ladder. It's because they manipulated themselves up the ladder. And so your employee's conversation will betray the illegitimate way that you found your way to that purpose. That's why we need Jesus. And so if you're here and you say, you know what? I'm trying to live this godly life. I'm new to this whole thing. I'm not really familiar about faith. I don't even know what the Bible says about this. How do I begin to live a Christian life? Start there. Start by asking yourself the question, what kind of creation? And it doesn't mean that you have to have a garden or livestock or a tank full of fish, okay? You can say, what do I have in my authority, my resources, my bank account? You're like, well, that's not listed in Genesis 1. It doesn't have to. Every good gift is part of God's creation and given to you by his authority. It could be your employees. It could be your business. It could be your house, your cars. It could be your neighborhood. What has God given me authority over? And then say, how am I working, sweating, getting exhausted, sometimes bleeding for the cultivation of the thing I've been given responsibility over. You know what this means? Even though mankind is the pinnacle of creation, we're not called to be honored by creation. We're called to lift creation up. Man, your job is to cultivate because you care and you're willing to work. That's beautiful when you think about it, don't you think? This is your role. And so if you're asking the question, how do we begin to live a godly life? Start there. Work hard for the things you're responsible for in order to cultivate them, not abuse them, not neglect them. Why? Because this nature of God inside of you is beginning to come out more and more that you care. You legitimately care which by the way is why we need some help, which by the way is why a woman comes onto the scene. Here's what happens. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I don't think this means that the God made man is incompetent. Some of you might disagree. I don't think it means that God admits that he made a subpar creation that was like, well, I guess he wasn't good enough after all. 
I think what it means is that the way God designed the purpose to be accomplished was meant to be in a relational, cooperative way. In other words, God's just as impressive as you are. We're not good enough to accomplish our God-given purpose by ourselves. We need some help. And so that's why God says, I need him to have a suitable helper. A suitable, that's an important word because suitable means there's a specific fit for man that's going to help him accomplish the goal and the promise and, and the purpose that God has given to them. And so here's what God does. He says this, I'm going to take all of my creation. This is chapter two, and I'm going to parade it all before man. And so he takes all of the animals, all the fish, all the birds, parades it before the man to see if any one of them is the suitable helper. And so he does this while all of creation is being paraded before the man, God tells the man to name all of creation. And so the giraffe walks by and the man says, mm, giraffe. And then the lion walks by and the man says, lion. The shark floats by and the man says, shark. The dog walks by and the man says, dog, man, best friend. A cat walks by and the man says, mm, bad decision. Stop. Do you know what he just did? When you have the privilege of naming something, you have the authority to rule and subdue that thing. And that thing then submits to you. This is why in the New Testament, when Jesus encounters demons, oftentimes he will ask them their name. And when they do, they submit to Jesus. Do you see this? This is why when you have kids, you and you alone have the privilege of naming your kids. You might get suggestions from everywhere. You might have an overbearing mom and dad that says, you've got to name them this. And you're like, nope, thanks. I'm good. I'm the parent. I'm naming my kid. Why? Because if you have the privilege of naming something, now you have the authority over that thing to rule and subdue it. And it must submit to you. This is why you name your kids. Do you see this? And so all these animals come by and the man says, name, 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 name. Why is he doing this? Because watch this. God named the man. And therefore, man submits to the authority of God. And now this godly nature inside of us, God says, I want you to do the same. Name all of creation. Why? Because I put them under your authority. Are you tracking? But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. It might be because the way that Adam named the animals. Have you guys looked up some of the craziest names of animals on the planet? You look at the names and you're thinking, what really was man thinking? Let me just share a few with you. Here's what I found. There's a frog, listen to this, called the mountain chicken frog. Who named that? I'm not done. There's a turtle called the chicken turtle. Brian, it sounds like a pet you would have. Someone named a fish the boops boops fish. Again, Brian, something you might like. There's a fungus beetle. You're going to love this one, guys. There's a fungus beetle called the colon rectum beetle. 
Another fish species are called the sarcastic fringehead fish. You guys can look this up. I'm not making it up, guys. Um, there's an armadillo called the pink fairy armadillo. How would you like to be like, what are you like? Oh, I've got this piece of armor on my back. What are you called? The pink fairy armadillo. Here's my favorite. The sparkle muffin spider. Who named these things? And so God, of course, looks at all these names that the man gives to these animals like, yeah, that's not going to work. No suitable helper. No suitable helper. So here's what he does. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Stop. Did you see what I see? We just talked about how God gave Adam the purpose of naming all the animals, and so he paraded them before him, and he says, giraffe, dog, shark, fish, bird. Because when you have the privilege of naming something, you have authority over that thing to rule and subdue it, and it must submit to you. Look at verse 23. As soon as the man lays eyes on the woman, he gives her a name. Does this mean what I think it means? And if the pattern holds true, does this mean that the man is called by God to rule and subdue the woman and therefore the woman must submit to the man? And right now, some of y'all are getting your tomatoes ready. (laughs) This scares us, doesn't it? Because whenever we hear the words rule and subdue in the context of a man and woman relationship, it makes us afraid because of all the abuse, neglect, violence, manipulation, that we can all cite, as some of you have even experienced. And this and this alone has, for some of you, caused you to question your faith. The reason is not because God caused it this way. The reason is because, again, sin entered the scene, didn't it? And did not corrupt our purpose. It corrupted the manner in which we accomplish our purpose. And so even though the man was called to have authority over the woman, watch this, now he is not working hard, sweating, and getting tired. It's sometimes bleeding. Watch this. For the sake of cultivating the woman, for lifting the woman up because he cares for her, but because sin corrupted our natures, now we care less for the woman and more about ourselves. And as a result, we still rule and subdue when we can, but now We don't do it by cultivating and working. We do it by overpowering. And we still rule and subdue women, men, but we do it by manipulating, not by serving. And we still rule and subdue women, men, but we don't do it by sacrificing. We do it by neglecting or abusing or getting violence. And so you know what has happened as a result? Women over time have reacted and he says, no more. And so the feminist movement was born And at first, it was a really good thing because now women can vote and they can own property where they used to not be able to. And that was good progress. But now there's this thing called modern feminism, which has taken it to an extreme where women say, we don't need men. 
Men are actually worse for us and we're fine by ourselves. In other words, they took out half of the equation God established for ruling and subduing creation. Now we don't need men. And so women can be as much men as men are. Watch this. If man really cared for a woman the way God designed us to, listen, I love that women have the right to vote and love to have the right to own property and whatever else that did for them. But women wouldn't need to own property if man would care for them. Women wouldn't need to vote if man voted for the sake of cultivating Woman, do you hear what I'm saying? Sin has corrupted the way that we accomplish our purpose. And therefore, watch this, the greatest creation that man has been given authority over is the one creation we care the least for today. So many of us would much rather animals have more rights than people. Some of us would much rather have trees have more rights and be more cared for than people. That's not God's design. So what Satan does is he flips everything. Men becoming passive. Women becoming aggressive. So watch this. When God made woman, he called her to be a helper. You know why we interpret that badly today? Because we can interpret helper to be assistant or employee or inferior. And so we react to that, don't we? The word helper is not assistant. I'm going to read you some passages on where this word is used. Let me read this for you. You're going to love this. My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. In other words, a helper saves people. Listen to it. You are a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you. But as for me, Psalm 70 verse five, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me. O God, you are my help and my deliverer. Psalm 33. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Listen, ladies, you were given a part of God that saves. You were given a part of God's nature that rescues. You were given a part of God's nature that is a strength. And so men, watch this. If you see a helper as an assistant or an inferior or as an employee, Are you telling me that you see God as your assistant? Is he inferior to you? No, no, no. Listen, fellas, your wife can rescue you. She can be your strength. She can work to save you. If you treat her the same way that God wants you to treat her. And so we're beginning, guys, a series called In the Ring. Similar to a series I did about 10 years ago. Here's the concept. The moment you were born, you stepped into the ring. You just didn't know it. And as you develop relationships, especially with your spouse, you now have a choice. You will fight against each other in the ring, which some of us do, 
or you will fight with each other in the ring against all other enemies. That's a choice you have to make. My goal for this series is to encourage you not just to get into the ring and fight, but to get into the ring and fight with your spouse for each other against all your other enemies. And I feel like we have 20 minutes left. I'm 10 minutes over. Oh my goodness. All right, guys, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how we can start to do this. All right, very quickly. Number one, get in the ring and start fighting. Get in the ring and start fighting. Take it seriously. No longer, you, don't have, you don't have time to be passive anymore. You can't afford to ignore it. Get in the ring and start fighting. Number two, hire the right trainer. Do you know what that means? It means that there are some trainers that's gonna just train you to lose every time. Fire that person. In this case, it's Satan. In this case, it's the voice of culture. In this case, it's Hollywood. They're not gonna be good trainers for you. Instead, hire the right trainer, which is scripture, which is Jesus, which is a small group right here at Brookside. And number three, decide who you're fighting for and who you're fighting against. Some of you are fighting against your spouse and you feel it every day. God wants you to do this fight with your spouse for the sake of your purpose. And number four, I need you to keep the date. You know what's interesting? It's so easy for us to get so busy, we neglect each other. Keep the date means that you know that on this time, on this day, you're going to get in the ring together. And that might look like that you schedule to go out to dinner together and then you go shopping a little bit. And that doesn't feel like a fight, but you know what you're doing while you're at dinner and shopping? You're building that connection, that intimacy, that bond. You're having conversations. You don't have time to have conversations any other time of your week. You're getting in the ring and fighting together. And so keep the date. Guys, this is the beginning of a series that hopefully we'll learn to fight with each other for the sake of our marriage and for our purpose together. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the gift of, of relationship. Thank you for the gift of creation and the purpose that you've given us. And, and Father, I pray first right now for those in the room that are sin single, not yet married, divorced, widowed, abused. And I pray that you will speak this truth to them in their own unique situation knowing that even though they are not currently married right now or have a healthy marriage, that this still applies to them because they still have your character and nature inside them and they can still multiply in the world around them. And I pray for every marriage that over the course of this series, each one of us will get stronger, our marriage will get healthier, and that we will learn to get in the ring together and fight with each other against every enemy that wants to ruin us. And I look forward, Father, to seeing the wins. I look forward to seeing the freedom. I look forward to seeing the health and strength that comes from this. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.